Got my tea, got my earbuds in. The tea, by the way, from uh, Tea Kettle, they reopened in City Center Mall, so it's nice to see a store reopen. It looked like they were shut down for a while. They're in the old David's Tea location in City Center East. Yeah. I will, I will freely advertise for them. <laughs> I'm having myself a wake-up call, which has like little bits of apple in the bag. And Okay. If you're, if you're just joining us now, welcome to Tea Talk with Justin and Marcus. Actually, this tea is wonderful on a day like today. It is. Uh, it is cold. It will be colder. Uh, you yep. know, I actually I was looking at the forecast and I actually wanted to hit minus forty degrees ambient temperature now, <laughs> just to say that I can, and I'll take the screenshot off of the Weather Network uh, app, and then uh, and then send it to my cousins down south or wherever, and just say, hey, look, you know, this is how cold it is over here, right? And because we've had such a nice winter lack of yep. thereof of cold winter and now that it's actually we're getting that vort arctic uh temperatures coming down if we're at 38 39 i'm you might as well see it at 40 right make it an even 40 yeah make it in a 40 just to say that we had minus 40 but yeah, yeah it is that, cold it, it, it is it is uh, substantially colder than it was a few weeks ago so how are you uh how are you how are you bearing uh coping with it yeah well you know, you're right. It was it was such a warm winter so far. Maybe it's all going to average out for us. So we get like minus 30, minus 40 for the rest of, you know, till the end of end of February or into March. <laughs> and then we'll end up with an average winter. You know, the biggest thing I think is, you know, it, we don't need the cold, but we need snow. I mean, I want to go skiing. I've talked about this before. <laughs> There's still only a little bit of snow on the ground. Really, it's just the, the humidity in the air that's frozen, that's fallen. That's all it is. But uh, we need a lot more snow in the mountains. They finally got some, but now it's so cold in Marmot, they had to shut down the ski hill. But yeah, how am I coping? I was, I was talking about this on Twitter. If, if it wasn't for natural gas, I think you and I, we would both be dead right now. Like, <laughs> we need natural gas to heat our houses. And it, it's, it's the, the short weeks like this in the winter when it gets super, super cold, where all the straw man arguments against every green policy or, or alternative energy kind of comes about. If I had oh, a heat yes. pump in my house... I don't think a heat pump's heating my house at minus 40 at night, is it? I mean, maybe. I don't know how they work, but uh, Obviously less I'm happy to have that furnace. Yeah. I'm happy to have that furnace come on in the morning. I have a time to come on at uh, just before 6 a.m. when I wake up, so it starts heating up, and it's nice and toasty. Uh, the, the, the tail risk situation, right, where, <laughs> you know, maybe we just, you know, it's nice to have that option right you know people will stack cords mm-hmm. of wood outside their home and, and you know makes for a nice ambience but also you know it, it it pushes out a lot of heat it can push out a lot of heat and even more efficiently than it was in the past right um yeah so there's options yeah whether it's a knack gas or um good old wood firewood or what have you but yeah western canada would be uh you know there's a reason why it's sparsely populated relative to southern um you know the southern parts of the or you know uh of the, of the country or even places further south than ours right but um, I was going to say too. Here I am, the uh, the poster child for you know. I've got my solar panels on my roof, and uh, I'm not showing off or anything. But uh, just just to let people know if they're if they're looking at getting solar panels at this time of year in Edmonton, you're not getting a whole lot. There's a thin layer of snow on them, and even if there wasn't a thin layer of snow, I might get uh, you know less than 10 kilowatt hours in a day. Um, but right now I'm getting a few hundred kilowatt hours with uh, you know the, the extreme cold and the snow. And, uh, and my plug-in hybrid on the drive to work today, driving in, in electric mode, electric-only mode, it averaged uh, over 10 liters per 100 kilometers fuel consumption, which is kind of like an average uh, compact SUV, which it is. Mm, and mm. Uh, the reason is that it's so cold that the car is like, the car's like, 
it's too cold. I'm turning the engine on for warmth. <laughs> <laughs> and it just runs with the engine on yeah. uh, to stay warm. And there's a little bit of a stretch. So I commute from Sherwood Park into downtown and I'm on ba- I go baseline past Capilano. Right when I passed Capilano Mall, the engine turned off for like a few blocks. And then it turned on again because it was too cold and, and then stayed on most of the way. Yeah, I mean, if it was always this cold, then, you know, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to be burning fossil fuels forever. But um, Hi, you're listening to the Just Some Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We're two advisors with CG Wealth Management who finish off our weeks connect over Zoom to discuss what's on our minds. Any charts or links we refer to, as well as an archive of past podcasts, can be found on muse.ca slash podcast. Please enjoy our largely unedited and unfiltered discussion for the week. What's on our minds this week, Marcus? Yeah, so very unfiltered and unedited discussion uh, on uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin ETFs. And uh, then a little bit about the markets over the last year. And uh, we talk about a couple of tech companies and, and the washouts that has occurred. So anyways, uh, first, uh, first new episode of the year. And um, if you missed us last week, I think we made the decision, unless we change it again, of of maybe going every two weeks with our episodes. I don't know how you you feel about that, but, uh, (laughs) you know, both of us, uh, both Justin and I, we are not full-time podcasters. We actually serve clients and it is a very busy time of year right now. So, uh, it is. It doesn't mean that uh, there'll be uh, situations where we don't have to, uh, or we can put in uh, call it an emergency podcast or instant reaction podcast episode or, or <laughs> something can, else yeah. coming or when the timing uh, works well that we can uh, incorporate some more um but in terms of cadence uh, i i believe uh, also you know both of us uh, in particular are going to have other um initiatives communication initiatives uh being put into place this year right so in conjunction and complementary to the podcast as well so yeah we'll we'll mm-hmm. see how it goes and and we are flexible you and i right so we can always uh and see how what uh, what the world gives us and uh, what, what the news fairy sprinkles upon uh Upon the news fairy. <clears throat> yeah. So speaking of news. Yeah, what's yeah. the news fairy giving us uh, recently? We're recording this on uh, January 11th. Uh, hopefully this uh, can go live on, on Tuesday or Wednesday in the next week. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big probably, news recently? Yeah, I think the biggest news, uh, at least uh, yeah, in, in our world, is... On the investment uh, front. Yeah. On the investment front is uh, the approval in the United States of uh, Bitcoin, spot Bitcoin ETFs. This is something that has been in Canada in place for uh, a few years already. Uh, but U.S. Yeah. being the largest and most influential, uh, they just approved it. And now they're freely trading. And there's obviously some commentary and, and, and reaction. Call it instant reaction. But there's been a reaction now that it's been finally approved and they're free trading uh, from a lot of different fronts. And I think uh, there's a couple of points that you wanted to bring up, Marcus. And I think there's a couple that I want to bring up as well. But, uh, um, yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not negative uh, on Bitcoin at all. I'm not, you know, one of the things at the end of last year I wanted to, that I was looking forward to this year, for 2024 was the approval of some sort of one or many uh, of these uh, ETFs. And uh, I think the implications of this, whether you agree with the actual Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, crypto asset space uh, or not, um, it is something, right? And it is going to impact things and decisions uh, on, on, on a larger scale that we're, we're just going start, to start to see the impact of. Yeah, whether you like it or not, whether you are, you know, in favor of Bitcoin as an investment or not, it is good to have this option available for American investors. Like I said, I mean, I, I personally have a tiny bit of my TFSA in a Bitcoin ETF and have for years. I'm, a, I'm about break even now. I bought it back in 2021 when it was fairly new. And of course, from that point, Bitcoin went way down and then up again. Um, 
but it was easy. It's just a click of the mouse. Um, we're able to hold them in our accounts here at Canaccord. You can buy them in a discount brokerage account. There's no having to open any type of special accounts with a cryptocurrency exchange or having to keep, you know, figure out how to create a cold wallet, whatever that is. In the U.S., they haven't had that until now. So in the U.S. landscape, what they've had until now was the um, like one popular way of owning Bitcoin was the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, mm -hmm. which was not a um, not a fully liquid ETF. It uh, because it kind of it was a trust that held Bitcoin, but it was not a like an ETF is constantly creating and redeeming units, so it's able to keep that price at NAV at net asset net asset value. Whereas the, uh, the the Grayscale, if you look at over if you look at it over the years. There were times when Bitcoin was really, really popular and everybody piled into it and the price of the, the fund, the trust fund, I guess, um, went way above the net asset value. And then more recent times when it was actually way below net asset value. So it was not a good a good way of investing in Bitcoin. Tracking um, the mean, actual value of Bitcoin. Yeah, it didn't right, track yeah. it perfectly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So these these types of ETFs, we know from the experience here in Canada, they actually work very, very well for, for tracking. I actually posted a, uh, a graph, a chart uh, a few months ago um, when they were still talking about the uh, in the in the U.S. Of, of them launching those ETFs, but the Canadian ETFs, if you look at all of them, um, and and match them up, the U.S. dollar versions of those ETFs, if you match them up with the price of Bitcoin in U.S. dollars, they track it very closely, surprisingly closely. I was I was even surprised as an owner of one of these things. I thought mm -hmm. I was probably trailing the index by ten percent or so, but it's actually tracking pretty pretty closely. And these uh, these ones and the these new ones they're launching, they should be able to that do that as well. Uh, the approval was, I, be, I guess, based three to two among SEC yes. um, so the chair people or whatever. So it was a very close vote. Uh, there's still a lot of resistance. We know uh, the one guy, uh, what's his name? Gensler. Uh, Gensler. I was, I'm known a Gensler because his brother used to manage a mutual fund with T. Rowe Price that I used way back in the day. Mm. But um, Gensler is very much against it. He always has been. Um, he was one of those ones probably that voted against it. In fact, funny thing on, uh, what day was it? So today's Thursday on Tuesday, there was a tweet that came out of the SEC apparently that uh, they had approved them and it was, it was reported on CNBC. And then Gensler within like 15 minutes or so uh, tweets out uh, that their account was hacked. <laughs> or compromised, right? Someone, someone had with access, yeah, that's right. This is the news of the day. Uh, who knows if it was actually compromised, but on Tuesday this, there was this funny thing going on on Twitter with... Uh, uh, they said they're going to do it, then no. But it was always known January 10th was the date they were going to approve it. And obviously now January 11th, the first day that they are trading. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked at how they're doing, but uh, they, they are out there. It is, uh, yeah, the, it's up. They're up. They're getting they're getting activity and um, they are um, seeing inflows and the price. And this is one of the things is that, you know, do you buy on rumor, sell on news sort of idea. But it, it actually, maybe this is one of the arguments, maybe perhaps for it. But uh, there is, uh, it is... Uh, my understanding up today the the price of bitcoin itself as of as of recording right so and my bitcoin etf is up to a little bit <laughs> there you go one thing i was going to actually mention too is it's it's confounding the so i'm not a, i'm not a big pro bitcoin I've, I've probably expressed that before and i will a bit in a, in a little bit here again too um but i i'm confounded by how against these bitcoin etfs the sec has been in in you know up until now and, and I kind of wonder, and this is just speculation, and I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, with uh, these crypto exchanges, which were really, really big over the past years. The crypto exchanges like FTX previously, they're not around anymore, right? Um, Coinbase, still whatever else. There's still some. There's not as many. There right? are some, yeah, there are some. But those were the way that people could get, retail investors could get access to Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin. So without going through the trouble of creating your own wallet and whatnot, these, these crypto exchanges 
were the way. And we know from the whole Sam Bankman-Fried uh, uh, story um, that he, he, was, he was donating a lot of money to politicians. And I kind of wonder, uh, have, have politicians been standing in the way of crypto ETFs? Because we know crypto ETFs take business in, in that form away from the, the crypto exchanges. Although supposedly the crypto exchanges will benefit too because they're the custodians of these, uh, these ETFs. Yeah, Coinbase so. in, uh, in particular being one of them, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, they've had a big recovery in their stock price. And and this is one of those things. Again, I think uh, it's that Lindy effect that we addressed in the past in, in some point where the longer something survives, the more likely it's going to continue to survive, right? Whether it's an idea, a concept, uh, a company, what have you, um, you know, an ETF perhaps uh, for that matter. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, you're, um, again, it, it's the first day of trading, but uh, in combined, the, the couple large, uh, the couple largest e, uh, uh, ETFs in the United States are, have brought in over a, a billion dollars. I mean, it's it's non-zero, it's non-trivial. It, you know, in the granted versus the entire market, it, it's it's a drop in the bucket in some ways, right? Against the S and P five hundred, for example. Um, but um, they're getting inflows, and it's the first day. Some people are going to want to, and institutions are going to want to, right? For example, I think Fidelity, one of the largest institutional managers in the world, right? has started to allocate a certain percentage of their overall asset allocation models to Bitcoin or crypto assets. A very tiny percentage. A yeah. very tiny percentage, but they've started. They've started, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't suspect, right? And it's, of course, like like Vanguard or BlackRock, even though they, you know, Vanguard's not offering one. BlackRock, iShares, is offering um, Bitcoin ETF. And, but, you know, institutions as a whole, when they're looking at how much to allocate to uh, public equities, to fixed income, to cash, to private assets. Uh, some sliver in the future, one of them, many of them at some point will adopt some sliver, right? As did Fidelity. And if Fidelity continues to increase that sliver, then that's buying pressure, right? That is interest and it's not going away. In, 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 in essence, it will show up in a number of people's pension plans and long-term savings, whether they realize it or not. Again, small sliver, but it's starting to happen already. And should more institutions start adopting it, um, as part of their asset allocation models, a 1%, half a percent of, of Fidelity's overall asset allocation is, is a non-trivial number. It is a large number and, and multiply that by two, three, four, five other similar institutions. And whether or not uh, this means that Bitcoin's going up because everyone's piling in or not, who knows? Yes. Um, but the good thing is, and this is, again, I'm not pro Bitcoin or anything, but it's greater efficiency. It means the the price the asset will find a price more efficiently with more sure. market participants more fluidly and as as frictionless are, are able to get into that asset so a, a major friction has been removed anybody that wants to speculate on bitcoin can do so very very easily now and that yes. price will now be yeah. more efficient good point that's right and then that's a plus in general for any investor uh, who's looking at mm -hmm. doing it, right? You want to be able to- whatever And whatever the asset class. Whatever too, the asset the class more, is, yes. The more easily an asset class is able to be gotten into, the more more uh, more uh, efficient the price. And I mean, there are advantages to illiquid asset classes too. We're getting into a bit of a tangent, yeah. but this is the advantage of an illiquid asset class is if you're able to get into an asset class that other people aren't able to get into as easily, yes. you might be buying at a discount. Mm -hmm. But now, and you know, if you were getting into uh, Bitcoin years ago, uh, you would you were basically buying in, into something that was- less less liquid and oh, you might friction. Have an advantage friction. now now is probably the last time is the least now is probably the least fortuitous time to get into bitcoin because it has become extremely extremely efficient now and liquid 
So will you see again owning Bitcoin now? You know, it's impossible to tell. Now it is as it is as much a crapshoot now as it's ever been because it is so efficient now. Yeah, liquidity, yeah, illiquidity premium has disappeared to your point, right? And and now you, you talked about that cold wallet to trans, to wire money blindly to some bank account in the Cayman Islands. Again, I'm, just, I'm making a bit of an exaggerated statement, right? But it's not too far from the truth. And then to mm-hmm. open up a wallet, then to get that money transferred over to pay the fee to doing in doing so, and then to trade on whatever exchange that you of your choosing to buy or sell a variety of assets of crypto assets, and then to take it out again, and then to bring it back. There's a lot of friction there. So the people who went out and did it, I mean, they obviously really wanted to do it, and so they went through those expenses, uh, not just dollar value, but time as well, mm-hmm. right? And 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 should one of those uh, you know wallets or, or sort of the exchange or you know like go belly up as, as some of them have, or were complete frauds as some of them have been proven to be, uh, or, or are just outright banned now uh, because of you know, money laundering and, and other situations, right? Um, that stuff is is gone. Right, so now you have, uh, custo- you know, um, le- legit. I call it much more legitimate uh, um, custodians that are uh, legislated or ha- have to follow um, financial market security rules and regulations. Right, they're in custody in, in an account. They can be easily bought and sold. Yes, far easier to invest in these things now, should you choose to, uh, than it once what it was before. But now, to your point, Marcus, yeah, some of that illiquidity premium. Uh, has uh, has dissipated or is is now completely removed, and now it's going to be have it's going to have to trade on on different fundamentals or, or different uh, different expectations. So you already looked into what ETFs are available in the U.S. Um, and this is not a, again not any kind of recommendation, but just looking at what the what the market looks like now for uh, Bitcoin ETFs. Yeah, there's there's a dozen there's or there's there's close to a dozen right, and there'll be more popping up of course as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I did hear was that Vanguard has decided not to offer one, and they're not even allowing them on their brokerage platform in the U.S. So in the U.S., they have, apparently they have a brokerage, um, and that kind of uh, interestingly, uh, you know, it's, it's been a little bit, uh, a little bit of back and forth on, ET, on on Twitter about that. Jack Bogle, the original founder of Vanguard, in his final days talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, has uh, expressed some disdain for them as an asset class, mm-hmm. and saying they're basically all scams or whatnot and mm-hmm. uh, and so at least vanguard in this case is is following true to jack bogle's word and uh has decided to step away and not be not be a part of this yeah. even though blackrock their biggest competitor is is very much into it and probably probably has one of the bigger more attractively priced offerings out there i'm guessing you know it's probably in some ways not that different from when i look at the canadian banks in the last year and a half where they basically did not allow any of their brokerage clients to buy uh money market cash ETFs, right? And they yeah. said, no, you can't and buy them. Probably Bitcoin, probably Bitcoin ETFs too, I'm guessing, yeah. right? Yeah, and I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being cynical on, on, uh, to Vanguard at all. Like they're sticking to a particular principle, right? And, and likewise, mm-hmm. you know, you could be cynical about the banks and saying that if you were a client at, uh, at a, one of the big six, five, six bank uh, brokerages and they wouldn't let you buy, you know, a, a money market cash ETF that was yielding a higher rate than their internal savings uh, savings uh, accounts or savings products. Well, you know, no wonder, right? It's because they didn't mm-hmm. want to lose uh, those assets to a third party ETF, right? And so that, but you know, that was their principle. The banks not allowing it. They've sort of been forced to allow some of it now. Uh, Vanguard is sticking to his particular principle in this case, saying that yeah, we're not gonna let our clients buy or sell um, any of these new Bitcoin ETFs. 
maybe in five years they change their mind. Who knows? But they're sticking to it. I right? was going to say exactly that. It could change because there was a time when Jack Bogle absolutely did not want his company get to get into ETFs when they were just an index mutual fund and active yeah. mutual fund shop. And if you read some of the stories, uh, like some of the, the books talking about the, the history of Vanguard, he actually got into a fight in their lobby, I guess, with, with someone when uh, he, was, he was out of the, uh, the president's role or whatever, or the captain's role, I guess, because mm-hmm. they go by like a, a crew. He, uh, he, he got into an actual fisticuffs with, uh, with someone else who went ahead with the ETF idea, which was uh, interesting. But uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Um, you know, just, just talking about ETFs, or not, not ETFs, Bitcoin. B- Bitcoin has an investment per se. Um, or a, 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 like, should you invest in it? Is there any value in, in, in Bitcoin? I, I don't recommend it to any of my clients. Like I said, I have a little bit in my own account. I've only lost money on it or I'm basically break even now. Um, is it worthwhile investing in? And I'll let you chime in on this, but you know, here's my, my take on this is it, it, it's, it's not an economical asset in the, in the sense that it's not buying a company that makes money. It's not buying a debt instrument that pays an interest rate. It's simply buying an, an asset. Now, for the benefit of the data, I'll say it's an asset, you know, even though it's kind mm-hmm. of a virtual asset. Um, I'll say it's every bit equal to gold. The value is entirely what you're able to sell it to, to someone else. And now, I'm going to get on a bit of a tangent. What is the actual use for Bitcoin? What is the, the use case? Mm-hmm. And I've been a bit vocal about this on Twitter. Um, and this, this comes down to a, a story I've been sort of a part of in the last couple of weeks, which we'll see where it goes. But... What use is there in day-to-day life or in day-to-day business for transacting with Bitcoin? Is there anywhere where you actually need Bitcoin? You need, I need U.S. dollars. I just booked a hotel in Belize. I need to pay for that in U.S. dollars. So I need U.S. dollars. I need Canadian dollars to buy other stuff. Uh, I do not need Bitcoin in my life. And I don't think anybody really does unless they are somehow adjacent to crime and fraud. And, uh, and, and I, I see it time and again, whenever there is a situation where either an investor is getting scammed, it is, it is a straight up crypto scam where someone, you know, a senior citizen gets a text message that they respond to or a WhatsApp message that they respond to and then get conned into depositing money in some account because they're being offered some kind of cryptocurrency investment. Recently, I've been sort of privy to a bit of a story, and this comes by way of my website from a... Um, just an anonymous person that contacted me. I'm not going to go into all the details. I don't want to reveal any any uh, personal details or anything like this. This might end up on the news. I don't know. But uh, that person contacted me, wondering if they are. If they wondered if they were being scammed, and they told me their story, and and I assured them that they definitely are being scammed. And I won't give the whole story, but the the end of it is this lady sent an enormous amount of money overseas to a to a recipient who obviously is 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 a scammer and, and basically had her believing things that were not true. Um, how did she send this money entirely 100% via Bitcoin? So one thing I told her is that no financial institution ever transacts in Bitcoin. No one will require you to send money in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. She was being told she had a bank account somewhere else and needed to pay some fees to release some money. You know, the typical used to be the old Nigerian email scam and yep. it, it still kind of is that way. But that should usually be the first tip to anyone being scammed. And I've talked about scams so much now, but the first tip should be if it's crypto adjacent, it's probably a scam. It's, it, you know, I will not say 100% of crypto related stuff or Bitcoin related stuff is a scam, but almost 100% of scam stuff is somehow there's, is, there's crypto adjacency. Um, it comes down to, you know, even a case like where it was a year or two ago where some uh, pipeline was being uh, uh, extorted by some, you know, cyber criminals mm-hmm. and they were being to- they were told to, to pay with crypto. Now, they were able to get most of the money back, but still the fact remains crypto has created a method 
and that's all crypto, not, not just Bitcoin, but crypto has created a method of transaction that is untraceable, or somewhat untraceable anyways, it is a conduit for crime, uh, for transactions on the dark web, and, and, and for, for people to, to get scammed. That is, I think, most of what crypto um, has, has contributed to society, uh, not so much creating an actual method of transaction where we can do our day-to-day -day transactions on something else, or have a, a free and open and decentralized currency and whatnot. And, um, and I'll admit, maybe I'm biased, and people will vehemently disagree with me on this, but that is my, uh, I'll get off my soapbox and let you talk. No, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great perspective, because somebody has been scammed. Uh, yeah, yeah not, not every animal has a tail, but all dogs have tails, right? And so not everything out there is, is a scam, but, or every, not everything crypto is a scam, but every scam has some crypto associated. In some way, well, I guess you want to look at it. But <clears throat> the, the idea of... Yeah, what is its use? What it's what's its function, right? And there's been a lot of attempts to justify a function uh, for Bitcoin, right? Uh, transactions being one of the ones that was very popular in the past. It's going to upend the financial institutions and whatnot. Um, but that's that argument's really fallen to the wayside. I mean, like Visa and Mastercard are, are processing billions of dollars a second on their on their systems, right? And you can barely do that. You know, you can barely, it'll take you a thousand, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating again, but it'll, it'll take you mm -hmm. a minute or two before you actually get, you know, a thousand dollars or maybe even longer, right? So it, it's ineffective and it's it's not a comp competitive option in, in that sense too, right? So I haven't heard those arguments nearly as much that it's going to transform the banking industry uh, or we're going to be, you know, buying, you know, our groceries in Bitcoin um, because it's not stable, right? The price just moves around. It's too volatile in that sense to actually rationally use it as the Yeah, that's currency, another thing. Right? When, when you actually see prices priced in Bitcoin and not a temporary price or the prices in dollars, but here's the Bitcoin equivalent, if you have someone actually willing to put a price out there of this car costs one Bitcoin, mm -hmm. then it's a currency. Until then, if it's basically, yeah, we'll let you buy your car with Bitcoin, but it's, for, it's worth $47,000 or one Bitcoin, mm -hmm. oh wait, 1.1 Bitcoin or whatever, um, it's not a currency. Mm -hmm. And it does not have it does not have that positive function that it's supposed to provide. It only has all the negatives that go along with it. Um, I like your analogy or about gold. Um, I was going to use that example as well, where it doesn't cash flow, right? And it does it just sits there. It's shiny. You know, all those people that are buying gold at Costco, for example, right? Like, what do you do with it afterwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> you just stare at it. You you sock it away and you hope you remember where you put it, right? Um, yep. So in that case, yeah. I think some of the use cases now are very similar or tangential to how people look at and utilize precious metals or gold as well. So a storage of value. Again, we talked about the volatility in prices, right? Um, but, you know, it wasn't that long ago or even to this day, right? When people are moving across borders uh, or people were forced to flee areas where they would sew up, they would buy gold and gold coins and, and sew it into their pockets or into their jackets uh, or be able to just, because it's transportable, you can move it. You can move a large amount of value in a very small, compact um, sort of vehicle. Right. And, and in some ways, I think that's how some people are approaching it, uh, a crypto or a Bitcoin as well, is that there are use cases aside from the terrorists in North Korea or, the, you know, the money launderers and all of that in, in, in you know, the rogue, rogue states and, and what have you. But people who flee Venezuela, there's been lots of uh, documented cases or looking to move money out, in and out of countries like that, uh, where um, if I have it on a ledger somewhere or I have it in a wallet somewhere, I can carry that or I can access it later on the internet as opposed to trying to lug around a, a gold brick, 
now, right? Uh, and and yeah. so there is some case on that. And I think there's been a, some adoption that we don't, you and I don't see on a day-to-day basis in, in, in the Western, much more stable uh, world uh, than places, say, in Africa, in uh, emerging markets, in, in uh, conflict areas, um, econo- economies that are just, you know, seeing super hyperinflation. Again, talking about Venezuela, for example. Uh, I think there is some base case uh, usage in there. It's low utilization, relatively speaking, but it's utilized. And we talk, you know, I mentioned bringing money across borders, remittances as well. You know, whole entire companies like Western <laughs> Western Union are, are built off of this, right? You walk into the the right mall, and you're going to see, you know, all sorts of offerings uh, of sending money to, say, the Philippines, right? A lot of the foreign workers here. Right? What's the best way to send money back home, right? Maybe the banks aren't available, you know, easily accessible in the village, or or the right bank, right? Costs money to wire as well. We'll remit. We'll send it through a, a, a money remittance uh, system. So that's another option potentially. Again, we don't use it a lot in Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. We, I don't use. I'm not remitting money to another foreign country, uh, but some people do, and maybe they look at using Bitcoin as as an option for that. Um, and yeah, yeah, that can be very useful, probably. Yeah. Argentina um, you know, switching getting... want, is looking to talk and, and switching to the United States dollar. There's a lot of money countries that are pegging yeah. uh, money to another foreign currency, right? And so that's a potential option too. And these are not again broadly used cases in where we live, uh, but they may be viable or valid options uh, in other parts of the world. So, well, I was going to say it was El Salvador too. And just as you were talking, I was looking them up on Wikipedia and just to see how's their economy going. Because uh, in 2021, they actually did adopt uh, Bitcoin as, as an official currency. Yeah, one of the bi- biggest things with, uh, yeah, and then I don't know how successful, people have gone and tried to buy, you know, beer on the beach and, and over there. And it's kind of clunky. It doesn't work great. You know, we're going to use the energy from our volcano to go do this. No. T- talking about uh, about gold and, you know, as, as an analogy, you know, the, Bitcoin doesn't necessarily have to be something we all transact in. Mm-hmm. Um we can think of it more of as a reserve currency. So let's say, yeah. and I'm going complete devil's advocate here. What if we do adopt crypto, do adopt Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency as, as a, as an actual currency, as reserve fund, a reserve mm-hmm. currency. There was a time when gold was the reserve currency of, uh, or was held on reserve for the U.S. and the U.S. dollar was pegged yeah, to gold, it. Gold backed money. Yeah, that's right. Theoretically, the dollar could be pegged to Bitcoin, which means you still go up, you go and use your dollars, but the government always has the offer that they will exchange a certain amount of Bitcoin for every U.S. legal tender note. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a possibility. It doesn't involve us having to actually do transactions in Satoshi coin or whatever, but um, that's a possibility. I want to get back to the uh, the Bitcoin ETFs, and we were talking about like what is actually available to the U.S. investor, what is out there. Um, you were saying a number of different companies offering them, about 12, you said, a dozen or so. They all were ready to go for today, so they'd file their prospectuses and everything. Cost-wise, like what's um, you know what's an MER in a Bitcoin ETF? Well, down in the United States right now, I mean, there's some what do you call them like teaser teaser offerings, where especially with a new ETF, in order to kind of help attract yeah. uh, some assets, they will say that we're waiving the management expenses uh, for the first six months or maybe the first year potentially, or up to a certain the first billion dollars, right? Uh, and and so right now there are a couple of them offering such a sort of a promotional rate, call it. Right, so zero MER for the first six months. Arc being one of them. Arc, uh, Arc Innovation or Arc, Arc Invest, Kathy Wood fame, and mm-hmm. but afterwards it's going to be twenty five basis points or zero point two five percent. And if I look at Vanek, another major ETF producer, uh, uh, ETF provider, point five point two five percent. Wisdom Tree point five percent. Fidelity uh, about a quarter basis point as well. Uh, 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 25 basis points as well, right? So they're all pretty cheap. There's some that are hit, hitting 1%, right? You talk about Grayscale, when mm-hmm. they converted, they're charging one and a half, right? Um, but 
pretty soon you're probably going to see like most ETFs is that you're going to see some price compression happening on that. And uh, I think you have some numbers for Canada, but I would suspect that now that we have these broadly available um, options in the United States, that you're going to see some fee compression happening on the Canadian uh, ETFs uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, as Canadian investors, most of us can can buy U.S. domiciled ETFs. That's a nice thing about the ETF industry. We can't buy U.S. mutual funds, but we can buy U.S. ETFs easily. Hmm. Just involves a little bit of currency exchange. Um, so yeah, hopefully we do see a bit of fee, fee compression because I'm looking at the Canadian landscape and I'm looking at everything, every ETF with Bitcoin in the name, and I count a grand total of six. There's six different unique. Um, ETF tickers, then there's various variations, US dollar, Canadian dollar hedged. Yep. There's yep. a yield, a yield, one has a yield ETF, which it's called Bitcoin yield ETF. So it creates a yield, I guess, out of the rise and fall of, of Bitcoin. I don't know how that works. But there are six by my count uh, from various issuers. And their MERs, they, uh, they range, but they're quite a bit higher, I think, than the US. MER wise, you're looking at the cheapest one being 87 basis points. And uh, up to as high as 2.18, which happens to be the one I own. But I think when they when they issued it, they had some kind of special deal back then. They were they had a lower, they didn't have a, a quoted management mm -hmm. MER yet, but they had a like a, a waiver on the management fee. So but, there's going to uh, be options. High. Yeah, there's going to be mm -hmm. options. Gonna see, we're going to see compression on on those as well. We're going to have to, otherwise the money will flow, right? The market will di will yeah. dictate that, right? Um, but yeah, iShares in the United States 0.2, right? And <laughs> <So> dollar wise. <laughs> Like in terms of how many dollars are, are invested in each one, and of course we're talking dollars, not yeah. Bitcoin. Um, Purpose is the biggest one in Canada, just over a billion dollars. Um, CI is up there at half a billion. And Fidelity is in there. A company called CoinShares I'm not familiar with. Um, 3IQ three three as yeah, well. 3IQ and Evolve. So those are the ones that are out there, and uh, it's not a huge amount. Even Canadian on the Canadian fund industry, sort of in those metrics, um, you know, we're talking about a total of less than two billion, or maybe about two billion totaling them up. That's not huge. Canadian market relatively is not huge either, right? So, yeah, and then there's probably more interest on the U.S. side. I would not be surprised if it uh, went to twenty, fifty billion total AUM between all those ETFs. Or of course, they're going to be in the news. People are going to want to buy them. And as always, people will buy them at the wrong time when everyone's talking about them. And like I said, when, when Bitcoin has just become super efficient and liquid, um, now is probably a less fortuitous time to be buying it. But um, it is what it is. So yeah. yeah, hopefully we see some fee compression there. Again, liquidity options have allowed it. Like this is again, the innovation uh, in the markets, which I think in general, we, you and I are positive about, is that it allows for lower costs uh, to the end client as well, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. So you talk about gold. One thing I do want to bring up is that, um, you know, I, I mentioned ARC and their base case or their bull case, bull bear ba uh, and bear case for Bitcoin for the end of this decade, 2030, <laughs> ranges from 260,000 on the bear case to 1.5 million per Bitcoin. <laughs> and the reason and is... Remind me about their bear case for Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the largest driver for those price targets or estimations is that um, it penetrates 20 to 50% of the gold uh, market cap out there, right? So you talked about gold and people using gold as a reserve of, of some coin, of, of some part, right? If they take 20 to 50% of that use case uh, from uh, from gold, then they are looking at, yeah, any, anywhere between 250 to $1.5 million per Bitcoin. 
Um, that's the largest driver by far in their in their in their analysis as to what uh, the usage of uh, of a Bitcoin will be. So and, we'll and people people in the Far East and uh, in South Asia will still use Bitcoin to make their jewelry with and uh, and gift and and, and, yeah. uh, and the computer <laughs> you know uh, microchips and whatever uh, circuit boards will still use the Bitcoin in, in place of gold uh, for their circuit. Uh, what you call it? I'm right. sure. I'm sure we'll have all the utility of gold. So, yeah, yeah. But 50 percent again, 20 to 20 to 50 percent. And again, it's it's not the physical usage; it's, it's the other uses uh, that uh, I think they're looking at. So anyway, just wanted to throw that in. Um, early days, early days. It's all days yep. uh, for yep. this. Uh, we'll see it develop. Uh, we'll you know we'll talk about it again throughout the year. But uh, it is see, after available. talking. Uh, after talking for 40 or so minutes about Bitcoin, um, we wanted to actually, we were talking about this last time, uh, doing a uh, sort of year in review, but I don't want to do a full year in review episode. You know that? Because mm. I was just talking to a coworker just before lunch here. Everyone's doing them right now. I'm so, I'm so like tired of listening to these years in review or this is what our, our pro- prognosis is for next, yeah. for this year, for 2024. Um, I, let's just touch a little bit on it though. Just sort of what has this, what, is, what was 2023 like? Um, we did it. We did sort of a half year review, I think, at one point uh, during this during the last season. Um, I mean, in, in a nutshell, and th- this is something that I wanted to sort of bring up. What we've seen now, just take the last couple of years into context, and also historical analogies. Back in the year 1999, 2000, we saw a big bubble bursting of technology companies, the new internet, and all that stuff, and we saw lots of companies that you know we. They're only they're only in storybooks now, you know, pets.com, CMGI, stuff like that, that just completely imploded around that time. But then some survived. Amazon, Google, which was not a public publicly traded stock at the time, but it still survived all that. Yahoo's still around. So whenever you have this happening, it's kind of like there's a, a reckoning and a big washout of companies. And we saw this happening again in 2020, 21, 22. We saw these these companies a lot that sort of popped up around 2020 when Partially due to the pandemic, uh, we had the surge in certain types of technology companies, the Zooms and the, the Pelotons of the world, that, um, you know, we, we've, we've now seen the winners emerge. We saw 2022 was a complete washout of these companies. Some went under, some saw their stock prices completely demolished like Nikola, and some survived or are surviving. You know, Zoom's hanging in there. Um, Shopify's kind of come back a bit and is hanging in there. They're not at their highs again. But And then you have some that have just been really dominating, that dominated 2023, the big Magnificent Seven, as they call them, which um, are, are looking uh, looking like darlings now. That's that's kind of my take. Just looking at the last couple of years in, in sort of retrospect, uh, do you have anything, any, any, any thoughts on that? I think obviously our lives have changed over the last few years or we've certainly had to adopt and, and some of the changes that we thought might be temporary are not necessarily going to be going away, right? So we talked mm-hmm. about uh, Peloton. Yeah, there'll be exercise machines sort of like that. Zoom's not going away. We're, we're embedded, right? Whether Zoom's Teams or some other video conferencing tool, it's being mm-hmm. used. It will continue to be used. Docu- it's just not worth, yeah. it's not worth more than all the airlines combined anymore. <laughs> DocuSign's not going away either, right? So it, they have these, oh, no, the sure. market has a thing, a, a way of, of filtering out and, and, you know, the strong will survive in, in a lot of ways and they will continue to grow. It's, it's, um, the outsized gains will will go to the to the survivors, right? There was a lot of doubt about you know Meta when they moved into or they declared that they were going to go into uh, you know the metaverse and uh, during you know <laughs> during the downturn, particularly with the tech downturn in the last uh, couple of years, um, I think they've tripled. They're back to all time highs again, right? Uh, since they're then. getting there, they're almost back. I think. And, and but, they, uh, I mean, that was that was that was probably the, the basic the, the poster child of 2022, 2023. Absolutely demolished in 2022. 
but obviously they're a survivor. They're we're still using their products. Cut I some mean, costs. WhatsApp is massive as a a tool for communication and also for scamming people, I guess. But and they haven't <laughs> that even monetized aside. that yet, right? Talk about the advertising. No, and Facebook yeah, and Instagram, it's amazing. It's right? it's they're, totally, yeah. They're these guys. These companies just print money, right? And they've, uh, they've come back fully from 2022's disaster. I almost believe, fully. I believe Microsoft, as of today, at some point today, is the largest company by market cap, a public company. It's it, it, it squeezed out Apple just briefly. Apple's gone down a little bit. They got, uh, mm-hmm. they got some downgrades. And some, or rather, and some a- Apple just hasn't gone up as much. Apple yeah. didn't go down as much in 2022, and it hasn't come up as much. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Microsoft, Microsoft, 2.86 trillion. Yeah. Apple is... Uh, it shows Apple at 2.878, but maybe that's not up to date. So we'll... Um, oh, yeah, Apple's we'll down today. So there, yeah. So I think these, you know, in any uh, cycle, business cycle, uh, there will be um, companies that go out of business or will just lose market share, and there's others that will gain and continue to grow. And it, it's just been a very that cycle was very compressed from beginning to end over the last few years, right? And, and we saw an acceleration and a deceleration very quickly on on, on some of them. And, and so we'll, this is going to happen. Something like this will happen again in the future. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, too. And, and, of course, none of these stocks are any type of recommendation, just commentary on what's going yeah. on in the world. But NVIDIA, holy crap, NVIDIA last year. What were they up, 200%? I have a chart on it somewhere, yeah. but they were up a lot last year. They were down about 50% in 2022. At least, yeah. Um, but, you know, here, and they keep going up this year, too. They, they are now at 1.4, almost $1.4 trillion market cap. This is a company that in, and this is something I've, I'm just putting together in a newsletter that's coming out, um, Going back to 2014, they were only worth 10 billion. Ten, from 10 billion dollars, actually, it's coming up in my blog post. It's coming up pretty yeah. soon here. Probably it's already out by the time anyone's listening to this. But uh, check out my blog. I'll link it in the show notes. But um, it went from 10 billion dollars to 1.4 trillion. Now, nerds like us, we've known Nvidia for 20 over 20 years, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I've been putting uh, their graphics Video cards into my yeah, gaming PCs yeah. since uh, the Riva TNT was the first one I used, and then. When the GeForce came out, I skipped the GeForce one, but I bought a GeForce two. But um, in 2014, they were pretty established, ten billion dollar company again, which was pretty decent, a decent mid cap, or maybe bottom end of the mid caps. And now they're 1.4 trillion in just 10 years. And now what I wanted to get at was this is a perfect example of what I've what I've mentioned in the past about you need to own everything out there. If, if you concentrate on dividend stocks or you concentrate on just stuff that you know, maybe it's oil stocks if you're in Calgary, you're going to miss the actual stocks that create the, the value of the market. So when the market goes up, what it has in the past, about 10% annually, it's the U.S. markets for 90-something years, that 10% annual is made up of companies like NVIDIA or companies like Apple who at some point go from being pretty small to just exploding in value. And uh, you, unless you were a nerd like us, um, you wouldn't have known about this company. And this company has now created one point, more than $1.34 trillion of market capitalization in a market. The U.S. market's about $50 trillion, roughly. So in the lifetime of the U.S. markets, now more than 2% of the market capitalization is, has been created by the growth of NVIDIA. And if you didn't own it, you didn't make that 2%, that 2% over that time period. That makes sense, but uh, yeah, I I'm get not saying point. go and buy the stock because it's super high value now. But if you didn't own it in the last ten years in some form, and usually that form would be an index fund or a very very diversified active fund, um, you you were not part of that growth. 
I'll take a slightly different tack to that and, and, and say that this is part of the attraction is why you want to, you know, if you want to put the effort and have the time to effort to look at individual stock selection and, and have a little bit more concentrated perspective is that owning one or two or, or any, even a couple in your lifetime um, can make a tremendous amount of difference uh, to the overall returns in the end. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, everybody would like to say they, they, they owned NVIDIA uh, and held it for the last 10 years, but then I'd call you a liar because you would not have, <laughs> nobody would have been able to hold on to it through all the peaks yeah. and troughs. You take, you take any of the major companies, uh, Apple is dead in the water for years, right? Until, you know, they all of a sudden, you know, brought back their CEO and decided we'll go on this design and innovation change. And what was merely just a, um, uh, a personal computer manufacturer and designer ended up becoming a phone company which then ended up becoming an accessories or a service company, and which now in the future may become an auto manufacturer. Who knows, right? But the point is these things change. NVIDIA went from a graphics card manufacturer only to then switching over and becoming like, oh, um, you know, uh, autonomous vehicle sensors. And it became the, the, the picks and shovels way to play Bitcoin mining and crypto uh, mining. And now AI. Right? And then it went down and then, you know, it went up and then went down and then all of a sudden realized, oh, their product can be used for, (laughs) for building, um, you know, language models and, and, and the, uh, be the engine for AI. And that's been their most recent driver. The interesting thing too, about them, they don't actually manufacture anything. They just design chips. Yeah. They design the chips. $1.4 trillion and all this revenue. And it's because they design chips that end up being made by TSMC in Taiwan. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was going to say, I was just going to list some numbers here for mm-hmm. uh, Magnificent 7, because we all love these Magnificent 7 stocks. Um, their returns in 2022, your best performer was Apple, and it was down 27%. Uh, worst performer, Tesla, down 65%. Meta, down 64%. NVIDIA, down 50%. And uh, yeah, who, who stuck with them? Who, was, yeah. who had the fortitude? Just, I, I have them in my portfolio, Some but they were did. part of an ETF. Yeah. And, and, and this is where, like, if you are sticking to a certain style of investing, that you need to be consistent with that, right? You can stick with dividend investing, and over time, you're, you know, the dividends now, if you do a dividend reinvestment, are going to buy incrementally more shares than it did a few years ago, right? And likewise, if you're a growth investor, you're going to say, well, I have to take, or I have to accept that my peaks and troughs are going to be much more magnified, likely, than the general yep. market. And so if you're going to stick to a certain type of knitting, you have to stay to that process. Otherwise, selling NVIDIA when it was down 60% or, or, or selling uh, Meta when it was down 50 odd, 60, 70%, right? You missed out on the triple, quintuple, X, 10X that came subsequently after that, right? And that was the payout that you were looking and said you had the intestinal fortitude and the mental fortitude to, to, to be able to withstand. And, and for a lot of people, mm-hmm. they didn't. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons uh, for myself and for clients as well over the last couple of years is that those who held on to individual names, right, over the trough are doing, those, those, those positions are doing quite well these days, right? Um, yeah, Shopify is not back up to its all-time high, right? But it's still much higher than it was uh, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, right? In, in some sense, right? And, and, and so um, you have to be able to hold on and stick to a particular process if you're investing in that type of uh, um, mentality. Again, dividend-specific, growth-specific, income-specific, um, blue-chip-specific, what, whatever. Broad market indices, right? You have to go, you got to stick with it. A perfect example on that here in the last couple of years, I, I posted this, um, this quilt chart, which mm-hmm. is going to be in that blog post I mentioned, um, looking at the returns of different asset classes over the, uh, the, the, the past, going back to 2011. But just looking at 2022, 2023, you could, 
And this, this is why you need to stay consistent. If you're a growth investor, stay in growth. If you're a value investor, stay in value. Don't go back and forth. Don't go like, you know, 2023, my value investments didn't do so well and growth was up a lot, so I'm gonna jump over to growth. If you do that, you're gonna absolutely demolish your capital. You're, just, you're, yep. you're never gonna, you're gonna repeatedly demolish if you keep doing that. But mm -hmm. the NASDAQ, and I, I posted the returns of the various um, sort of asset classes um, as ETFs in Canadian dollars. So the, the Canadian dollar uh, growth, so the growth in Canadian dollars of the triple Q ETF, which represents the NASDAQ 100, it was up 51.55% in 2023. It was down 27.59% in 2022. And of course, in previous years to that, it did really well. Um, meanwhile, value represented by the ETF VTV, that's the Vanguard uh, value ETF, it only did 7% last year. Uh, but in 2022, it actually did a positive 5.07%. So yeah, if, you're, if you happen to be heavy in value and you decide now, well, I only made 7% in 2023, my buddy in the NASDAQ made over yep. 50%, so I'm gonna jump out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to kick yourself. And if you actually look at things in terms of staying consistent, let's say you started out at the beginning of 2022 with some investment. You went into the NASDAQ, the triple Qs. You start with $100. Your $100 went down 27%, so you're down to like $70. And then they went up 50% in 2023. Mm -hmm. So you're up 35 bucks, call it a little over 105. Net, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you made 51% in 2023, but you're basically up 5% over two years. Meanwhile, look at value. If you just stuck with value after one year, your 100 was up to 105, and then in 2023, add another 7% to that. Mm -hmm. What is that? Another eight? Yeah. So, teens by the end. Math on that work. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, let's call it another seven, eight dollars on top of that. So you're, you would actually be being better off just with value for two years. But now, if, if you stuck with one or the other, you're in the positive. If you went back and forth, you demolished yourself. If you got out of the NASDAQ in 2022 because it did so poorly and went into value because it did so well, you uh, you suffered that seven percent return after taking a twenty seven percent loss, and now you're at negative twenty ish percent. It's it's the trading. It's the it's the not the flip flopping. I don't use that term necessarily, but it's it's been proven over time that uh, people in general are terrible market timers, and <laughs> they do the complete opposite of buy low and sell high. And and I struggle with that conversation with clients for many years, where it's always you know looking through a portfolio of investments, it's always oh that thing's not doing so well, I got to get out of that, and go into the thing that's doing well. No, you need the exact opposite. You need to rebalance. Yeah. Balance into the thing that's not doing well. You know, if international stocks have done terribly, international stocks didn't do so well in 2022, uh, you balanced in, then they did pretty well in 2023. That's how the markets work. Different things do well at different times. And you will always kick yourself by chasing the thing that most recently did well. Almost always. I mean, there's always momentum, but yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying, right? I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. I think, again, stick to a particular process. And in, in general, there's a lot of different ways to, to skin the cat, as they say, right? You just need to be consistent in doing so. As you right? told us, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> um, Always yeah. skinning cats, are you? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I'm not a, maybe that's why I'm not a pet person is because I get to use all these analogies with animals all the time. Uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not either. I'm not skinning cats, though. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think we're in for another interesting year. Um, there's going to be stuff happening uh, in next month, next six months in the summer in the fall right we haven't talked about elections and things of that nature right that um Ooh, we don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> and, and so a lot of uncertainty there's always gonna be a lot of uncertainty um but consistency i think as long as uh, we all use that as a major uh guiding light um you make it through in the end so i'm looking forward to seeing what happens
any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice, and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investments, objectives, financial circumstances, or general needs of any individual, organization, or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect any fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Canadian Investment Regulatory Organization.